Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we are once again going to talk about YouTube, or more specifically how YouTube, along with its big tech brethren, Facebook and Twitter, are trying to deal with what they view as misinformation regarding the coronavirus outbreak, COVID-19, whatever it is that you might want to refer to it as. Now, if you've been following virtual legality for a little while now, you know that this is a topic that has interested me, and I think it has interested a lot of folks that are either getting their news from or just kind of getting additional commentary from Twitter or Facebook or YouTube because these companies, these platforms, have taken a hard-line approach on what they're going to promote, what they're going to reduce, and essentially what they are going to allow people to see on their platforms. So I wanted to take a minute to talk to you about an interview that I saw that was put up on a site or a channel called Protocol. And I'm not familiar with this particular periodical's work, but this interview was with Neil Mohan, who is the chief product officer at YouTube. I've pulled up his LinkedIn here. He says he's responsible for YouTube products and user experience on all platforms and devices. This includes YouTube's core mobile applications, YouTube.com, Creator Studio for content producers, emerging technologies, vertical experiences, and all the rest of the things that you can generally expect from a high-level vice president or senior officer at a modern tech company. I'm, I'm sure he is synergizing various core competencies all over the place. But in this interview, he actually was pretty open in a way that is a little bit rare for these kinds of officers and in a way that I think a lot of you, if you do create content for something like YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, are going to find pretty frustrating. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it and we're going to pull up some of the things that he has said. You can absolutely check out this video for yourself to get a little bit of additional context for what he has said, but I've pulled up some quotes that I found interesting and we're going to talk about them. We're going to add what I might consider to be context to these quotes, which I think you'll find a little bit more interesting as we dive into what these things actually say. So without further ado, let's take a look at where this starts out. This is an interview that is done to talk about how YouTube is currently dealing with the coronavirus crisis. And one of the very first things that Mr. Mohan says is those two things, and he had just been describing the two things that he thinks makes YouTube an important place to be in the midst of this crisis, openness and responsibility. Those two things I think have been consistent on our platform, the openness, as well as this notion of responsibility. They have, of course, taken on kind of almost new meaning, if you will, or are at a sort of a heightened kind of status of awareness as a result of this crisis. And while Mr. Mohan here in this quote and elsewhere in this interview talks a lot about the openness of the YouTube platform, obviously YouTube was birthed as a place for any given person to put up a video, to talk about what they want to talk about, to share home movies, whatever it might be, that that is clearly something that they view as important to promote, even while, with the other hand, they essentially squash down certain people's thoughts, certain people's ideas, because they aren't quote-unquote authoritative. Continuing, and again, I've pulled these quotes out of a pretty long interview, a 35-minute interview, so please do check out that context if you are interested in hearing more. What you are alluding to in response to a question that was about how YouTube is dealing with this with respect to authoritative voices, what you are alluding to, which is raising up authoritative voices on our platform, let me give you, let me sort of make that very concrete. 
in this crisis, you said it yourself, information is fast moving and there's also misinformation, but information is changing really fast, both amongst medical professionals and in terms of how that applies to all of us. And he actually refers to all of us later on as the citizens of the world. And this is all kind of a preamble to a set of questions that we're really going to focus on as part of this interview that really talks about how YouTube is dealing with what their CEO has said about essentially removing all their videos if they don't comply with what the WHO or the CDC guidance is at the time. And this interviewer is, I think, smartly kind of trying to pick at that notion. Hey, if all of this information is changing so rapidly, then how can you essentially as YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, if that was who was being interviewed here, say, we're just going to knock down those things that are against current guidance when that guidance changes so often, day to day, week to week, month to month. And so that's what Mr. Mohan here is trying to address. And he does say, hey, this information is fast moving. And then he also kind of steals a base, right? He wants to attach the notion of what is fast moving information, what is information that is changing on a day-to-day basis to the concept of misinformation. Misinformation here, I think, taking on the connotation of deliberate lies. Things like if you stare at the moon long enough, you'll be cured of COVID-19. Or if you go and you bathe in salt water every other day, this virus can't touch you. These kinds of snake oil salesman type videos or complaints or claims that I think all of us that are rational and that can look at this can say, yeah, obviously that's not the case. But to me, that's distinct from, hey, I don't know about this mask advice and I'm not quite certain that the numbers coming out of country X are entirely accurate. I think we should look at those a little bit further, even when the WHO or the CDC might say, hey, no, these are perfectly accurate. This is all fine. You should listen to X, Y, or Z without complaint. And that's what YouTube is trying to deal with, and to some extent, not terribly well. Now, as I said, we've talked about authoritative voices before. I've pulled up here the YouTube coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19 updates page. They're constantly adding to this thing and what they say about misinformation. How is YouTube fighting misinformation around coronavirus, COVID-19? Again, framing this, this answer is about misinformation, not just information that might not comply with scientific guidance at this moment in time, but note how they answer. We are committed to providing timely and helpful information at this critical time, including raising up authoritative sources in search and recommendations and showing information panels linking to locally relevant sources like the WHO on relevant videos. We will also continue to quickly remove videos that violate our policies when they are flagged including those that discourage people from seeking medical treatment or claim harmful substances have health benefits. Finding trustworthy content is especially critical as news is breaking, and we will continue to make sure YouTube delivers accurate information for our users. Now, the lawyer in me says that last part should actually say tries to, uses best efforts to deliver accurate information. YouTube doesn't want to be in the business of promising the accuracy of whoever puts up a video on their site. But note what they've said here, right? How are you fighting misinformation? We will raise up authoritative sources in search and recommendations. And on YouTube or on Google or anywhere else where we're talking about a search bar, that's a bit of a zero-sum game, right? If the Hoglaw YouTube channel doesn't meet the qualifications of authoritative source, and I'll tell you right now, we don't. 
then what YouTube is saying is if I speak about any of these issues, coronavirus, COVID-19, anything that kind of even tangentially relates to that, YouTube will be squashing those down. And they will be squashing those down to advantage Fox News' most recent report, CNN's most recent report, an MSNBC interview, whatever it is that they might deem to be authoritative. And we'll see that that's a problem in and of itself and not allow people to be critical thinkers about these various things. And to me, as someone who likes to do this, who likes to talk about these issues, that's a problem. We also see here that this was not the first time that they dealt with this issue. I pulled up a Wired article from 2018, the summer of 2018, that says YouTube debuts plan to promote and fund authoritative news. And this was in response to some issues that they had with respect to the Las Vegas shootings in Parkland, Florida. It says the company announced on Monday a slew of new features it hopes will make news on the platform more reliable and less susceptible to manipulation. According to YouTube executives, the goal is to identify authoritative news sources, bring those videos to the top of users' feeds, and support quality journalism with tools and funding that will help news organizations more effectively reach their audiences. The challenge, and this challenge continues today, oh yes it does, is deciding what constitutes authority when the public seems more divided than ever on which news sources to trust, or, this is pretty important of itself, whether to trust the traditional news industry at all. It's important to note that YouTube is applying the standard only to breaking news and developing stories. For all other videos that users find on YouTube, the recommendation engine will work the old-fashioned way. And I don't know whether they're changing that in particular, but they're certainly treating coronavirus, COVID-19, as what amounts to the longest breaking news story in YouTube's history. That coronavirus just is breaking all the time, and they're going to catapult authoritative sources as they define them, and they're going to reduce the impact of places like Hoglar or anywhere else that you might see talking about these issues. And then as Wired notes, one of the big, big, big issues is what the heck is an authoritative source, right? Among the news organizations that YouTube highlighted in the announcement as authoritative were CNN and Fox News, the former routinely rejected by President Trump as fake, and the latter among the least trusted news sources among Democratic voters. And this is only with respect to political kind of concepts, right? Not something as apolitical as a virus. Of course, if you're living in 2020, you're watching this video in April of that year, you know that even now, in the midst of a viral outbreak, everything is political. And YouTube and Twitter and Facebook is finding themselves in the middle of these very political fights when, in my opinion, that shouldn't be the case, but nevertheless is. And so we continue with Mr. Mohan's interview. In a fundamental sense, what that means is that when we recommend videos alongside videos that you might be watching or right below a video that you might be watching on this topic of coronavirus, so he's limiting it specifically to COVID-19 and this ongoing breaking story across YouTube and the rest of the social media infrastructure, we want to make sure that they're coming from authoritative sources. What is an authoritative source? Well, it's a general term that we use to describe news sources that have a history of credibility and relevance in a particular area. But in the case of medical information, we also want to include medical authorities either your national health authority, the World Health Organization, etc., as places for contextualized, vetted, highly credible information, and we want that to take a prominent place in our recommendations in our search. Said another way, YouTube wants to determine, on its own accord, 
with whatever list they wind up putting together, what is going to fall under this umbrella of quote unquote authoritative sourcing. And they want that to be essentially all that people that visit YouTube to talk about these kinds of things wind up seeing. And while I think that authoritative sources, I think credible news organizations, even governments can be a part of the conversation. As you know, if you followed virtual legality, I feel that it's a complex kind of mix, a battle of facts and ideas and understandings that I think we see bear out even now in our social media age with things that should not otherwise be politicized or problematic or subject to discourse. That the World Health Organization changes its guidance day by day, that the CDC does, that the White House does, whoever it might be that you might think is authoritative changes its opinions on things so rapidly that one of the things that we as citizenry that don't have this medical expertise, that don't get to sit in the room of these organizations have to do is try to piece it all together, try to sift through what makes sense and what doesn't, come to our own opinions, and hopefully work it out with everyone else at the same time. But certainly if YouTube is getting in there and saying, well, you shouldn't even be allowed to see X, Y, or Z, or we should push down video about coronavirus because it's not from Fox News or it's not from the White House, then that is hurting the ability of the citizenry to make those critical decisions, to make that critical analysis, that critical reading on their own. And I think that's what we wind up getting to as part of some of these questions. Note that there isn't a list of authoritative sources, right? Mr. Mohan continues, it's not sort of a hard and fast list, and it's actually based on the foundation of a lot of work that we've been doing over the course of the last two or three years. Indeed, as we just shown you, it was actually contemplated in 2018. So it's not something that sort of happened magically overnight. As a result of this, it's been built on a technological framework as well as a sort of a kind of methodological framework. Not a lot to go on there, right? YouTube is deciding what is authoritative. It is using its own functionality and its own application and website and what have you to promote what it deems to be authoritative and to reduce everyone else. And then it can't really tell you how that list is created. Now, Mr. Mohan, to his credit, goes on for a number of paragraphs here, a lot of which I'm not going to summarize, where he talks about teams of experts and he talks about medical professionals and things that are helping to inform YouTube about this list, as well as the technological ways that they are doing that. But they can't give you a list. They can't tell you what's authoritative. They can't tell you how this all works. All they can tell content creators is that your stuff is very likely to not be seen by anybody if you talk about coronavirus at all, despite the fact that that is by far the largest news item of the year, maybe the decade, maybe our lifetimes. If you talk about it and you don't immediately agree with whatever the guidance that is given to us on that day is, we can demonetize you, we can strike you, we could potentially penalize your account, and very much we will make sure that nobody sees it in any event. That to me is a problem. That to me doesn't kind of stand for what YouTube purports to stand for, which is an openness, a kind of freedom of speech concept. And we've talked in virtual legality about how the Constitution doesn't prevent them from doing whatever they want on these kinds of things. This isn't a legal argument in respect of whether or not YouTube is allowed to do this, but whether or not the product is better off for them having done this, whether or not the conversation is better off for them having done this. And I would argue that it is not. Mr. Mohan continues, just like the whole question of raising up authoritative content and authoritative voices, 
This question of removing or reducing misinformation or other sorts of harmful content is actually also based on a framework and a lot of work. Now, what's important to understand here is that this was actually in response to a question that didn't talk specifically about misinformation. Talked more along the lines of, hey, how are you making these decisions? How are you deciding what's authoritative? And because of everything that's changing, is it, does it make sense to have this hard and fast set of rules? And this was the response to that, that, hey, when we remove or reduce misinformation, it's based on a framework and a lot of work. And again, we see that same kind of stolen base concept that we saw in the rules themselves, that we saw in the interview that the CEO of YouTube gave that said, hey, we're just going to remove everything that doesn't abide by WHO guidance at the time that it was made. So what we've got here is YouTube essentially saying that everything that isn't authoritative is misinformation. Everything that doesn't originate from one of these sources is misinformation, is harmful, that that's the assumption that is placed on it without respect to what was actually said, just the fact that it doesn't come from one of those sources, which, as we know, living in the age of coronavirus in April 2020, are sources that make mistakes all the time. And I'm not begrudging them that. People are human beings. The folks that run these news organizations, these governments, these health organizations, they are human beings as well. And we are currently, rapidly, hopefully, working through the science of what this thing even is. But human beings make mistakes. And to suggest that they don't, to suggest that the fact that they work in a health organization or a government or a news organization somehow makes their critical thinking skills better when somebody somewhere else could say, hey, you know, I think there might be an issue here. We should at least look into it. We should have that conversation. That concept, that thought, that idea is pushed into the bin, pushed into the basement, if you will, for no other reason than they don't work at CNN or Fox News. That becomes a significant issue. And as a matter of fact, we see here, and I've pulled up the wrong one, so you don't just, we'll get there. That monetization of COVID-19, the coronavirus, is an issue for a lot of people. I've talked about it in this space in virtual legality. When it started out, YouTube was just demonetizing everything that even said the word coronavirus. So you had YouTubers using fake words, and you can go and find various episodes of virtual legality where I say, I'm not going to do that. If they demonetize me, they demonetize me, and they did. But one of the things that's interesting here is they say, you can't be monetized. It's a problem for your monetization if your content misinforms users about health matters related to COVID-19. And so definitions, words matter here. When the head of product development, when the CEO, when various other aspects of YouTube and the YouTube rules essentially say that if you don't come from an authoritative force or, or an authoritative voice or channel, then you are misinforming people about COVID-19. And then they say they can demonetize you or otherwise penalize you it starts to sound like you shouldn't be talking about it at all. Now, obviously we're talking about it in this video, although I think this video is primarily about how YouTube is using this kind of authoritative source concept to make life difficult for people in a way that I think really harms the discussion of not just this, but whatever the next thing is and the thing after that. But when you combine all this stuff, when you combine this kind of concept, you wind up with an argumenting fallacy, right? What I generally refer to, not here as Wikipedia does, is an argument from authority, but an appeal to authority. And appealing to authority by itself 
isn't that big of an issue, isn't that big of a problem, right? Hopefully you're coming to Hogue Law, you're coming to virtual legality because you think maybe I have some idea about how the statute works, about how a piece of contract language works, about how maybe a big deal works. And so I'm an authority on those subjects and you take my opinion to be maybe a little bit better than someone that doesn't have that background or that experience. That's all well and good. You should 100% defer to authority to think about what authority says, maybe even more than what some random person off the street says. Where the fallacy comes in is if you just point to authority, say that it comes from authority and therefore it is true. And when you are YouTube and you suggest that something that comes from CNN by virtue of it coming from CNN is more worthy of consideration, is more worthy of being considered true solely by virtue of its origination point, that's a fallacy. And then when you say to the other people that are involved that maybe have some background that you just can't tell because you're YouTube and you're using robots, that maybe somebody sitting in their office somewhere or their basement does have a background in understanding some critical thought about this that maybe the news anchor at CNN or Fox News doesn't have, you say, nah, that's not worthy of consideration because they're not an authority. That's a problem in and of itself. That's a fallacy. That is an argument, a problem for determining what is truth. And make no mistake, there is truth here. Masks either work or they don't work. The virus was either created or it wasn't created. It was either in a lab or it wasn't in a lab. This specific therapeutic will either work or it won't work. Science is figuring these things out and I don't purport to have the answers to those questions, but those answers do exist. We're talking about reality. We are not talking about political meanderings or navel gazing or English literature analysis that maybe you can say, well, it's all subjective. Yes, there are different ways to kind of figure these things out, but there are answers. And the fact that just saying that you're from a news source suggests that you have that answer is a problem. And it's a problem for me. I think it's a problem for others as well. And to give you some examples, we use existing policy and updated our enforcement of that policy to also include things like commentary that might encourage people to flout stay-at-home orders or stay-at-home advice that they might be getting from their national health authority because, in my mind, that is like a kind of a false narrative underneath our medical misinformation policy. Now, this is expanded, right? We just talked about fallacies, appeals to authority. This actually says, if you add commentary that might encourage people to flout stay-at-home orders, in my mind, not from a kind of objective standpoint, but in the mind of the person that's most responsible for deciding what YouTube is and can be, that's a kind of false narrative underneath our medical misinformation policy. Now, don't get me wrong. There are types of misinformation that you could have as part of a conversation on these kinds of points. Just saying, hey, you know, viruses can't be spread by contact. Who would say that, right? Certainly not the WHO in January. But viruses can't be spread by contact. You can go out, you can do whatever you want. Or viruses don't spread during the daytime. So don't worry about being out in the daylight and you can flout those stay-at-home orders. Those to me are distinct from any specific commentary that might encourage people to flout stay-at-home orders. Because as we've talked about, or maybe you saw me tweet about, here in Michigan, we've had now three different stay-at-home executive orders. And in particular, the second one, in my opinion, on the basis of civil liberties and what should actually be used to target viral spread, was too broad. It limited things that didn't have any relationship to the virus and the viral spread. And I put those thoughts out on Twitter. I don't think I did a video here in YouTube, but you might have heard me mention them. 
And I put those thoughts out on Twitter. And lo and behold, when the third executive order came out, our governor said, yeah, I think a number of those things were too broad. But at the time that I was making those statements and had I made a video on YouTube about them, that could certainly be read as something that might encourage people to flout stay-at-home orders, to say, well, I don't think there's a really big, significant problem for boating on your own lake off your own dock if you happen to have a motorboat. And that was prohibited in Michigan under the second executive order. It's no longer prohibited. And I would say, hey, you know, I don't really think that's an issue. I don't think you can show that that really contributes to viral spread. And like I said, they took that out of the most current executive order. But certainly by saying that, or maybe even saying, hey, if you think that's a significant issue, if that really, really bothers you, you know, go protest at the Capitol, but stay in your car, maintain social distancing, all this good stuff. But that's flouting the stay at home order. You're not allowed to go and protest under these executive orders here in Michigan. And maybe you have similar executive orders wherever you might be. And YouTube says that that commentary is worth quashing solely because in this person's mind, that's like a kind of false narrative underneath our medical misinformation policy. And I just don't believe that. And I'm not a medical professional. I'm not an authoritative source in the YouTube universe of the world. However, I do think it's important to have these conversations, to have these voices be heard, and for people to judge, hey, you know what, that person with that video, that's a crazy person right there. Or, hey, maybe Hogue has a point. Maybe Rick is making a good point. Even if I disagree with him, that's not misinformation. That's not dangerous. That's something that reasonable minds can differ on. And we could discuss the scope of that stay-at-home order and not just assume that these are all on and off switches, that everything that a governor or a president or whatever it is that might be running your country could say is necessarily true and valid and the best possible thing that could happen for you or for the citizenry of your jurisdiction. To assume that, to me, is to really ignore our responsibility as critical thinkers, as reasonable-minded human beings that are figuring things out for our own sake. That one of the things that YouTube can be about is education and illumination and having these conversations, having debates, and yeah, not putting people in danger. But this is the problem with stealing that base. This is the problem with suggesting that everything that you could possibly say that isn't authoritative will fall under this misinformation rule for saying, hey, how are you combating misinformation? Oh, well, we're promoting authoritative sources. And when we answer any question that you give us about how we're dealing with any given issue on YouTube, we immediately respond by, well, we reduce misinformation by promoting authoritative sources. Everything that isn't from an authoritative source can't possibly be misinformation. It's just not the way that the world works. Additionally, they actually say, we're going to go and try to do some minority report stuff. One of the other tools that we established that's come in handy here is what we call an intelligence desk. And this is a team of professionals who actually try to look just over the horizon in terms of where a conspiracy might be coming from, where misinformation might be coming from, so that we can do our best to sort of stay ahead of something that might be emerging before it becomes a challenge on our platform. Said another way, We're now not even talking about authoritative sources. We're talking about a group of individuals that aren't named, aren't otherwise identified, that YouTube can go to to say, well, we think that some people might start suggesting this and YouTube can quash it before it happens, regardless of whether or not it turns out to be true, right? We're going to get to it, but maybe you said, hey, I think masks might be useful back in February or back in March. And the CDC and the WHO and everybody else said, nah, masks aren't useful. And you wind up in this kind of situation right? Is that a conspiracy theory that masks might be useful? I don't think it is. It certainly doesn't appear that way right now. 
But YouTube, had they been operating on this kind of structure back then, would have had the authority and probably did quash some people's thoughts on masks, quash some people's videos on whether the CDC or the WHO was being stupid, certainly quash some videos about how the WHO interacts with China and other jurisdictions. And now what we have here is we have a description of a set of people somewhere in a room, top men and women, that are deciding what will be conspiratorial before it happens. I mean, my goodness, that seems like the anathema of openness. Continuing. So this was in response to a specific question that, again, I want to give credit to the interviewer here, that was asked about with respect to masks. In particular, this whole kind of concept that the mask guidance changed, right? That we went from here, the Surgeon General wants Americans to stop buying face masks. They're not effective in preventing general public from catching coronavirus, but if healthcare providers can't get them, it puts them and our communities at risk. To here, the Surgeon General telling us how to make our own masks. And it wasn't that long between those two things. It was about a month, right? And in between that time, a number of people said, are you sure? We're looking at numbers out of various other countries. And those countries that seem to have a cultural significance to wearing masks already seem to be doing maybe a little bit better than these other countries. And maybe that's statistical noise. Maybe it's not, but it's probably worth having the conversation. And yeah, other people could say, well, the reason that they lied about this is because they wanted to make sure that masks were preserved for the hospitals as much as possible. That's fair. But again, you're talking about these organizations, these authoritative sources, essentially telling a noble lie, but a lie all the same to the citizenry and YouTube elevating those lies for the benefit of the common good and not allowing other people to argue against that common good or what purports to be the common good. And that's how you start getting dystopian science fiction, right? That's how you wind up talking about whether or not the government can tell a lie to the citizenry to prevent a panic, to preserve materials, to stockpile things, and then a big tech giant corporation with a monopolistic infrastructure using its authority and its ability and its algorithms and everything else to quash down those folks that might otherwise put a light on that lie. And that starts to make me a little bit nervous. So this question was asked, hey, you know, like a month ago, telling everyone that they should wear a mask was not necessarily commonplace advice. And now it is. And I think YouTube has sort of done work to keep up, but we've seen other platforms have issues with banning mask content, even in the middle of sort of changing medical advice. So I guess the broad question here is whether it's masks or 5G, coronavirus conspiracy theories, is YouTube always going to be just sort of by necessity slightly behind the latest, trying to whack-a-mole with whatever people are talking about? Or can you be more proactive about what's going on? And that's the question that was posed to Mr. Mohan here. So he says... Let's take your mask example. You're right. Guidance on masks has changed. And this is what I mean by the actual underlying information is changing in a fundamental way really rapidly too. But this is the reason why I feel really strongly that when users are looking for this information, making sure that we are raising up authoritative voices is important. Because the way that the question around masks would be covered by a credible sort of authoritative channel is that there would be context. There would be explanations behind why a particular mask decision was made or not. And so the user, the viewer of that content on our platform can make an informed decision for him or herself. Now, we really need to break this down, right? So here the interviewer has posed to the product officer in charge of YouTube, 
this platform that I think a lot of us really, really enjoy, really like, I certainly like making videos for it, and says, okay, we'll grant you, you've got authoritative voices, you've had issues with conspiracy theories, maybe there's some good stuff that you are doing here, but let's talk about masks, because Facebook and Twitter and now YouTube, they've all had issues with this mask thing because it changed so rapidly. As I said, the Surgeon General changed within a month, so did the CDC, the WHO, everyone else. And so they say, okay, you're right. That mask issue was an issue, but that's why authoritative voices are important. And pardon me if you have to do a double take and look at that. The actual argument here is because authoritative voices are wrong, authoritative voices need to be elevated more often. And the secondary argument is because it's those authoritative voices that are the most likely to provide additional context to say why the mask choice was the one way a month ago, why it's this way now, and that others, presumably, because they're being squashed down, don't provide that context. Now, please do leave a comment to this video if you think that Virtual Legality or the Hoglaw YouTube channel has ever lacked in context. I think my thumbs are sore from all the typing that I wind up doing to link every single source in the description and hopefully to tell you people to find other sources as well and to bring them to my attention in the comments if there are other things that are useful to the conversation that I might have missed, right? Just like CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or the White House or whoever, I'm a human being as well. And the internet is a broad and vast place, so I can't find everything but I think I do a pretty good job of providing the context that hopefully you need to have these conversations, but I'm definitely not authoritative. I'm definitely not on whatever magic list YouTube is using to give people hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. And because of that, the argument here is very, very frustrating to someone like me. To someone like me who says, well, you know, that mask information would appear to be a noble lie from a month ago. It doesn't appear to be matching up with some of the information we are getting just in terms of raw data. And it wouldn't surprise me if they wind up saying that masks are useful. And then of course, to advance that ball even further down the field to have the government's mandate masks as they are mandated in California and now here in my home, Michigan and New York, I believe also has a mask mandate. And so when you get this answer, you can really feel the kind of fraudulence or the fallacy in its own making and its own logic. The fact that things are changing means that we need to elevate authoritative sources even more. And note again the language used here. He's speaking on his own and not specifically as YouTube, but YouTube is a platform predicated on its openness. Presumably not any one individual should be feeling really strongly about cutting off other voices to advantage specific ones of their own design and that they can't list for us in interviews like this. But here we go. This is the answer that they want to provide. When things change, when authoritative channels are wrong, then we need to continue to promote them. The answer was not enough authority. Even though the, the voices, the channels, the sources that we might have otherwise quashed were the ones saying, hey, I'm not sure that's quite right. It was a good thing that we quashed them. And it's a good thing that we are promoting these same authoritative voices when the story changes because they'll mention that the story changed. Now, I don't know about you, but I do read the news. I do watch the news. I don't find these quote unquote authoritative voices to be terribly good at explaining the changes that have happened to whatever the story is. You do get a lot of snippets. You do get a lot of headline items about what the story is now, but I don't find that you get a lot of context, especially since we're oftentimes talking about news channels and organizations that have a limited amount of ink, that have a limited amount of screen time. When, as so many people complain about in the comments to my videos, I don't have a time limit. 
Some people come in and say, hey, you go too long. I say, hey, a lot of people say that I sound pretty good at 1.5 times, so try that out. But the point is that I can speak as long as I think is necessary to cover the context of what it is that I want to discuss. If anything, the folks that aren't trying to squeeze into a three-minute segment or into 500 words in the space that is allotted to them in the Washington Post, they have the chance to offer even more context. And that doesn't mean that there aren't idiots here on YouTube. There aren't idiot bloggers. There aren't people that you should avoid. But people should be able to make that determination. As this quote says, the viewer of that content on our platform can make an informed decision for him or herself. That's all well and good, except when anything that might not toe the party line, that might not kind of comport with whatever the story is on any given day, isn't even allowed to be seen by that user that is purportedly to make an informed decision for him or herself. I have never really heard an argument like this that says that by quashing other people's views and concepts, that helps people make an informed decision. The very notion is ridiculous, but he's not done. Because it wouldn't be YouTube if you weren't otherwise mildly insulting the content creators that don't have a Chiron and don't have a CNN or Fox News by their names. Because he compares authoritative sources to basement dwellers. As opposed to, you know, it's somebody espousing their opinions about a mask, you know, in their basement. One fun fact here I did note while I was kind of transcribing this video. When he thinks he's on thin ice, in my opinion, obviously, just context, he winds up saying you know more often. I've actually scrubbed a number of them from this transcript. Uh, But as you can see here in the sentence, he uses it twice in about 10 words. He doesn't really love that he's going down this road of calling his content creators basement-dwelling opinion espousers, right? Authoritative sources from CNN, the Washington Post, Fox News, wherever else you might find yourself, they know what's going on, even if they have to change their story every day. But that's as opposed to somebody espousing their opinions, you know, in their basement. Because the alternative is coming from an authoritative channel, a news source, a medical professional. And if that's the case, we think, we're not sure, We'll throw in a we think here. There's going to be some context that's provided around the question of masks. And even if that guidance changes, it will be reflected in sort of how an authoritative voice talks about it. That's right. Not only are we basement dwelling opinion espousers here at Hoglaw, although it should be noted that we don't tape these in my basement. It's worth noting. But we also are essentially worse than authoritative channels because we don't provide context and an authoritative channel will have the changes properly reflected in how they talk about issue X, Y, or Z. If you've come to this point in the video and said, you know, Rick, I'm not sure any of these arguments make any sense, you are not alone. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to highlight this, because as you probably saw in the video that I highlighted, it's only been seen by 150 or 200 people. I don't think a number of people are talking about this particular concept, even though I think YouTube content creators and people operating in social media in general, have reflected on this, certainly in 2018 and on through the years that YouTube is doing this, is trying to make itself more corporate, more news-oriented. But this continues to be a problem. And when it's something like this, when it's something that's so important to every single person in this country and really every single person around the globe, quashing voices doesn't make a ton of sense. And so when we get to the finale here, When we get to him saying we are falling back to really raising up videos from authoritative channels as important 
and at the same time removing or reducing the views of videos where that same level of authority hasn't been established, well, I think it's clear, no pun intended, that the mask is completely off. YouTube is what it is, and they are welcome to be what they want to be, whether that's corporate, whether that's something else, whether that's the mouthpiece of a government organization or a jurisdiction that you might not think too fondly of. They are allowed to do what they want to do, but we don't have to like it. And when you look at these quotes in context, when you look at them all kind of piled up on each other, I think YouTube has a real problem. They have a real problem with appeal to authority. They have a real problem even determining what that authority should be. And they have a real problem telling their content creators or anybody else actually using their service. They don't even have to create content. They just have to be served specific things that YouTube wants them to see. They have a real problem with all of those groups because they aren't being transparent. They aren't saying what they are doing entirely, even in an interview like this. And they're creating more issues for everybody by quashing ideas thoughts, beliefs, and allowing that informed user to come to the decision themselves, a thing that they suggest is very, very important to at least how they want to be perceived. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, please like, subscribe, ring bells, hit all, do whatever else is necessary to continue to get notifications of these videos as they go up. There's also a podcast version of this. If you prefer to listen, I usually say, on your commute or something along those lines, but I don't think a lot of us are experiencing that right now. We talk about this kind of thing a lot. We've talked a lot about social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube in the past, certainly in the last couple of weeks. We also talk about things about pop culture, business and law, things like the Star Wars Day hashtag that became such a issue yesterday on Twitter or Fortnite, video games, movies, television in general. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.